0: The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I will be your host for today's episode. I want to remind you before we get started to subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and also to check out our YouTube channel and give us a nice rating on either where you listen or where you watch on YouTube, give us a good rating because then people find us. Um, We want to reach as many people as we possibly can with a message of hope and help and positivity if there is such a thing these days. But um, the way we can do that is if you help us out by subscribing and giving us a good review. So today we have an interview with a gentleman, uh, a young man named uh, Norman, and Norman just completed the Narconon program at the facility that is our sponsor, Narcanon Ojai. So I don't have a lot of background on Norman, so we're going to just let him tell us his story. Well, Norman, thank you for being on the podcast today and being willing to tell your story. I really appreciate it.
0: Uh, thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. So the way I typically start these interviews, and I'm going to put you there as well, is how did you get started on drugs? How old were you and what happened?
0: So I was about 13 years old when I started uh, like just with the basic stuff like smoking weed. Uh, I used to kind of hang around in the backyard of my dad's house and kind of hide it uh, in the backyard where no one ever went. (laughs) So, kind of untouched territory, I would keep all my stuff. And um,
1: Where did you get the weed?
0: Uh, just from a guy I knew at school. Uh, it was kind of like, it was more of a, I saw other people doing it, along with kind of like uh, my cousin as well. So, I'm just like, oh, you know, my cousin seems pretty cool, you know, why don't I? And then it was, kind of just went a little downhill from that. But it started about 13, 14 years old, yeah.
1: Okay. And then you were in school, obviously.
0: Yeah. I was in school. Um, it wasn't, it started off not as like an everyday thing, but you know, just kind of, uh, maybe on the weekends and then, you know, slowly progressed into, you know, uh, doing it when I fell asleep and then kind of like after I, you know, after school, (laughs) sometimes before school, if I got up early enough. So, yeah.
1: How did it affect your school?
0: Uh, my attention span definitely went down. Um, I wasn't able to really concentrate on school, you know, in the classroom as well. I was talking a lot. I was not exactly getting in a lot of trouble, but my teachers definitely didn't appreciate the fact that I was distracting other people. You know, my grades slipped a lot. Uh, I just, even when it came to taking like big tests and exams, you know, like such like SATs, like, and, um, what are those like the school-wide exams that people take in elementary and middle school? I don't like what I they're would be called, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, usually they take about an hour, 2 hours to do and I'd finish them in like 30 minutes. You know, I'd just be guessing, doing little doodles on my my exam sheets and I just didn't really want to be there. So Wow.
1: Now do you know what your grades like what your your av- grade point average was before to compare with after? Do you have any
0: idea? uh, Yeah, I mean, basically it was about like a B, B average, like, you know, high C, low B. um, And then it kind of slipped down to, I was only passing the fun classes, like PE and, you know, arts arts and crafts and computer class. (laughs) (laughs) So Anything I had to put my mind to definitely, uh, definitely didn't work out too well. (laughs)
1: Right. Did, was your, were your parents at all aware of what was going on, or did they suspect? or?
0: Uh, I'm, I'm sure they knew a little bit of something when they started to notice my attitude and just kind of overall demeanor when I was just around them. You know, they always used to describe me as this happy kid who was full of life, and then they slowly saw me turn into a person that was, you know, never happy and then, you know, always finding something wrong you know, like looking at me and just feeling like something was always wrong. But I would never talk about it, yeah.
1: Did they suspect at all that it was drugs or if... Uh,
0: you know, I'm not sure to be, like at first, you know, I just, you know, I used to play video games a lot. So I think they might've thought that I might've stayed up a lot, you know, I'd be tired all the time. But, you know, in reality, I was doing something, You know, you know, in the backyard and, you know, behind the scenes that kind of contributed to... What was going on in the front lines.
1: Right. Yeah. Were you, what extracurricular activities were you into when you were in school?
0: Uh, Just kind of like, I used to play flag football when I was in middle school. um, I was on the basketball team. Uh, When I got to high school, I played freshman football and then I kind of jumped out of that because my grades were slipping, you know, as well in, in high school. And then I spent about a little bit in college, but I didn't do very much. Um, yeah, I didn't, they had, you know, intramurals and stuff, but I wasn't interested in that being my size and, uh, just what I was doing.
1: I got it. So marijuana, did you go beyond marijuana? Did you start trying other drugs?
0: Yeah. So the second thing that I tried was, uh, alcohol. So I had my like first sip of beer. I went over to a friend's house, his dad, uh, I would say drank quite a bit. Um, I probably call him an alcoholic, but he drank quite a bit. And then when his parents weren't home, sometimes I don't know why they left us home home alone together, but they did. Well, uh, he knew where his uh, little alcohol cabinet was, and we had a, I believe it was, I want to say Bud Light. So we just had a few cans of Bud Light and just went swimming after that. So I mean, it felt good at the time. You know, I didn't like the taste so much, but you know, I liked the way it made me feel compared to. Uh, me using, you know, marijuana so much, you know, I got so used to that feeling. I'm just like, I need to feel some different time, you know, something different.
1: Interesting. And then what happened after that? Where'd you go from there?
0: So after that, it kind of progressed into me drinking and, you know, smoking, you know, every other day to almost every day. And then, you know, once I got used to that, I progressed into taking psychedelics, um such as like LSD or mushrooms. And uh one of my friends had gotten a uh a research chemical, I believe it was called, I wanna say four H 4-H, four H O DMT or something like that. From so was, I think he bought it online. Wow. I don't know. I don't know how he got it, but he was uh he was kinda in that little whole dark web buying stuff off, you know, dark web, deep web, stuff like that. So I guess it's kind of like a liquid version of shrooms, mushrooms. So you just mix it with water and stuff like that. But it kind of went into psychedelics to where I was doing that maybe once to, you know, once, twice a month, but only with friends would come over. And then, you know, we'd always be mixing the alcohol and the marijuana as well. So it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was fun at the time. But looking back at it, I'm just, I'm like, I just why did I do that? I'm like it was, nothing came nothing good came out of it.
1: All right. Well, you know what they say about hind, hindsight. <clears throat> hindsight is always 2020. 20. And where did you get the LSD? Did that come from your friend as well, the one with the chemical which name I can't recall?
0: No. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a difficult one to remember. I don't even know if I got it right, but uh so I mean most of the stuff would come off of there. Uh, I did have, a, I was in contact with a person from school uh, that I knew as well, along with uh, some people outside of school that I got involved with.
1: Okay, so this is while you're in high school?
0: Uh, yeah, this was like beginning of high school. Uh, it's kind of when I started with this stuff. Yeah,
1: but you only did it a couple times a month
0: yeah so it wasn't a whole thing only because we had learned that the uh when you take it once uh in order if you wanted to take it again, you would have to wait a certain amount of days to get the same effect. so as soon as you would take it, your tolerance would go up. so if you were to take it again the next day, you would have to double the amount you just took
1: oh okay, yep. something new that I didn't know <laughs> so did you so you d- you did marijuana then alcohol then hallucinogenics. Did you get into opioids as at all, or opiates? Uh,
0: a little bit. I mean, I started with a kind of like benzos, uh, kind of like Xanax and pain pills. Um, this person that I had met outside of school that I got introduced to uh, ended up becoming the main source of pretty much all of my my drug my drug use, such as you know marijuana, uh, psychedelics, and also like stuff like Xanax and pain pills like Narcos or uh, OxyContin, content, yeah, yep. uh, you know, stuff like that. And it ended up becoming to the point where I was taking that, you know, maybe once, twice a week. And then it progressed into almost an everyday thing wow. where I was skipping school. Um, I remember this one. I don't remember it because I blacked out. But I remember specifically just because of what my friends told me. Uh, During graduation practice uh, for my high school, I showed up to school. uh, You know, I was all fine. And then while we were doing practice, I went to the bathroom and never came back. So the story is is that I had taken so much Xanax that I didn't return back to the practice graduation. And then I was, you know, walking around school, singing and stuff. And they were all surprised that I was even didn't get caught. But I had no idea what happened. Wow! You know, and yeah, and it was just like leaving school in the middle, in the middle of it. You know, spending all my money on, uh, on all this stuff. Uh, the biggest part was the Xanax. Like once I got a hold of that, I couldn't get off of it. Mm. Like just, just how it made me feel. Even though I forget stuff, you know, I wouldn't really care. Um, it just, it got to a point where, like, I was. <laughs> I was like, messing I barely, I mean, I barely passed high school. Like the last year was probably, my senior year was probably the worst. Uh, you know, I would leave class and then go smoke in the bathroom and come back and pass out between classes uh, during class. And it was just, it was just really bad. I never got anything done. You know, my parents, I'm pretty sure they suspected something, but they never wanted to say anything in fear that how I would retaliate to what they said.
1: Right. And you had brothers and sisters, right?
0: Yeah, I got two little sisters. They're did they, about.
1: Did they know what was going on at all?
0: Uh, I don't believe so. I mean, I do have an idea. There would be a couple times where I would just get so out of my mind that I would just walk around the house aimlessly, and I'd try to talk to them, and then the next day they'd tell me I was slurring my words and stuff like that. So I think they knew, but then again, like, they, they didn't say anything. Just in fear, because I was a – I'm I'm a pretty laid back person when it comes to uh, just talking in general, but I think most of my family and friends know that when I start to get angry about a situation, I get angry. Like you know, it depends. Doesn't to me, it seems like it doesn't really matter what type of person or who you are. I'll end up starting to get kind of physical and just like yelling because I want to be the dominant person in the argument. So I'll do my utmost best to make sure you know it. I'll remember
1: that if I ever if I ever meet you in person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you shouldn't have to worry about that. I know. I'm just kidding. Yeah, people were just afraid of like just making me angry and fear that I'd do something that I would regret, and I know I have when I gotten angry. But
1: right, well, I think one of the problems that happens with the drugs is that the um, the sense of Uh, What's the word like, you know, like your own innate sense of not crossing a certain line. I think a lot of times that just goes away and you do things you never would do if you weren't on drugs. So I can understand that. So after you graduated from high school, what happened then?
0: Um, Well, actually, before before I get to that, I actually started uh, getting getting into like uh, cocaine and stuff like that while I was in high school as well. Okay. Uh, this person that I would get all my stuff from, uh, we would have parties all the time, and one, you know, one day you kind of introduced me to this while I was kind of like really drunk, and I, you know, I, you know, I did a probably about two or three lines, which was a lot for a first time, or at least for me, and I almost like I passed out on the couch because I felt like I wasn't able to breathe correctly. You know, it's like. Uh, I was sitting there, all this stuff was happening around me. You know, Usually when you see people doing that type of stuff, they're all dancing around and hyper. And it's like, as soon as I did it, something in my body didn't didn't agree with me. And I just, I could feel my heart rate slow down. I was getting dizzy, trouble of breathing. And then I ended up just passing out on the couch and no one knew about it either. But uh, I mean, once and then once I got out of high school, I went to college for a little bit uh, uh, over in St. George, Utah. It's called Dixie State. Okay. Um, That's when kind of stuff really started to escalate uh, for me, at least. Uh, You know, I was I started off doing okay. You know, I was still drinking and uh, taking Xanax and smoking marijuana while I was there. So, you know, for I went to class for like the first couple weeks, and then you know, every day or every four days because I didn't have that many. And then I slowly went down to three days, two days one one day a week, skipping a whole bunch of other classes and then I got really into this started when I was in high school, but it got you know got a little bit worse when I was in college. I started uh, dealing drugs as well, so when I was in high school, it would be a lot of um selling marijuana to the kids uh or people more people outside of it because I didn't want people knowing at school what type of person I was um along with, you know, just like pain pills and uh, cocaine, along with, uh, I think they call it they call it lean, which is, you know, like promethazine with uh, codeine, it's kind of like cough syrup. Okay. Uh, so I know a lot of like influential people, like, you know, rap artists and stuff use it as well. You know, they rap about it, have it in their songs. and So that, that was one of the things that I was also using as well. But um, when I got to college, it was, uh, it was mainly dealing around school. Like the college because I lived right across the street in the dorm room uh, for part of it and then I lived on campus but you know down there in St. George they frowned upon it so much like you can get a pretty hefty fine and depending on how much you have you get a lot of jail time um, so it was kind of like I was selling it out of my house uh, out of my dorm room sometimes or I'd walk around campus uh, I'd be missing school and this is let me just like this is when I was about I graduated high school, I was about 330 pounds. And I, cause I, you know, I would always eat a lot because I was like super depressed, you know, just I didn't like the way I felt or what I was doing. So I always tried to hide it. But during this time, my freshman year of college, I've been taking so much stuff that I was only eating about maybe once to twice, uh, once to twice every other day. Okay. So... I had lost like eighty pounds just from starving myself because I was taking so much, I had no appetite. Uh yeah, it's it it really didn't make me feel good. I was up all hours of the night when people were asleep so that I could walk around campus and get it to people that needed it, two, three in the morning. Um and then and then it got like uh, you know, I started I got kicked I ended up getting kicked out of my first dorm room uh because there was an issue with one of the resident uh, managers seeing a video of me online uh i believe snorting a, a pain pill off my laptop in the dorm room so they got a hold of that they kicked me out uh and i was living at my friend's house on the floor for a few weeks um not being able to like eat you know just cuz i didn't have any money you know i lost all of my stuff after that you know uh all my money, all my drugs that I was selling. I had no source of income. I didn't have a job. And I just like I was all I started to take stuff from other people. Like even my friends, I would steal either like stuff out of their wallet or I would take uh, you know, drugs that they had so I can use them myself. You know, I would always uh, me and my friends ended up taking a bunch of stuff out of this Dollar Tree, uh just <laughs> just because we could, like, we, I hung out with a lot of, like people that didn't have jobs either. That were really into like wanting to sell drugs and make money, but we we could, we weren't able to because we didn't we didn't have any money to begin with. So we were always just taking stuff from other people, and uh, that's when I got like arrested. My one of my first times was because one of the people that owned the building walked in there and saw us pretty much like squatting up in their property and they had us arrested for, and they found like paraphernalia and some marijuana and stuff in there. So I got charged with you know, trespass, like criminal trespassing and then paraphernalia and then uh, controlled substance as well. And so that was, that was kind of a, a little issue I had to deal with being able to happen to get out of that and then finding an actual place to live. So. How
1: uh, long ago was that Norman? Do you know what year? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was about 20, I want to say end of 2017. Uh, okay. Uh, around end of 2017, beginning of 2018. Okay. Um, and then around the same amount of time I had, uh, me and my friend had actually gotten enough money to uh, to go to Vegas and pick up uh what's called a boat of of Xanax, which is about a thousand, I think what I was getting it for was about a thousand uh, Xanax bars. And we had driven to Vegas and uh, we were at this guy's house and you know, I came up with the bright idea after we've been smoking and stuff the whole way up here that we should, we should rob the guy. You know, we were sitting in his couch, everything was on the table in front of us. He ended up actually getting up and going to his kitchen little area. And me and my friend actually just took everything, took all the money on the table, took the the, the drugs, and we just left out of the room. We uh, sprinted down some stairs and got into his car. Um, And this this was like one of the biggest turning points that I I had seen that made me go from bad to just worse was the fact this guy pulled out a gun and actually started shooting at the car. Uh, wow. We had taken like his whole inventory, pretty much at least what he had. And I would say I heard about five to six bullets go through the car. Um, I didn't. I didn't end up getting hit, but my my friend actually caught two bullets uh, in, in the sh- one in his shoulder and then one in his back area. And I I had no idea because I hopped in the, the driver's seat, so I was I was driving and uh driving down the road we got about a mile down the road before you know i thought we were clear you know i kept you know saying oh this shit's crazy you know am i allowed to swear on here (laughs) okay i'm like oh this is this is crazy like i can't believe we just did that like he shot up the car and stuff and then i look over because he's not answering so we're still driving i look over and he's just you know slumped over in the seat you know i see blood dripping down his his shirt and out of his mouth like after that, like I dropped him off the hospital and just left, like because I knew I, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but after that, was, yeah, after that it just went downhill. I locked myself in. I wasn't talking anymore. Not even my good friends that I had at the time. I locked myself in my room, my dorm room. I was getting was people he to buy he me. Okay, the
1: one that got shot was he okay?
0: oh, uh, he passed away. Oh. yeah. because yeah, of the shots. Was, yeah, I I'm pretty sure he was almost like dead on impact because I was hitting him, you know, nudging him, like yelling at him, and he was he was answering.
1: Oh, I'm sorry.
0: Oh so, yeah, I just dropped him off at the hospital and just just left because I didn't want to stick around to see what would happen. But the biggest problem was like telling his family what had happened. Like, I couldn't face that. Yep. Like, but after that happened, I just locked myself in my room. Uh, it was, you know, I, I just taking everything every single day. It was handfuls of pills, alcohol with the same thing, uh, smoking all the time, drinking, everything. And just for like, I couldn't remember a single thing. Were, like,
1: were, I'm going to ask you a question. Um, you can answer or not answer, but were you like trying to kill yourself?
0: Deep down looking at it now, I believe I was. I never wanted to confront the fact that, you know, I, I always kept thinking that, This is my fault. Like, I'm the one that put this idea in his head. I'm the one that got in contact with this person. I'm the one who helped him, like, steal all the stuff. And, you know, I always had this thought in the back of my mind that this is my fault. I kept blaming myself for it. So I'm just like, I always thought that since I caused this, I got to make up damage to him by doing something to myself. So I was just, I felt like I was, I could see people, the people around me could see that I was, I was having a problem. Like they, they I never, I didn't tell anyone what had happened, but just by the amount of things that I was taking, they, they had to know, they knew something was, was wrong. But uh, yeah, I couldn't, I could never face that uh, at all. And that's what really spiraled me down. So I was not going to class. Um I ended up getting arrested again for being drunk in public eventually like, a couple days about a week after I left my room. Uh I it was, it was just I couldn't I ended up getting like after I got out of jail the first time, uh I actually got a new place. Uh I was in another rehab during that summer. Uh, this is after all, all this stuff happened. I ended up going to rehab at this place in St. George that
1: Now let me just stop you, Norman. So when was the first time you did rehab?
0: So I think it was about in 2018, mid 2018. Um, It was at this place called, I wanna say Renaissance, Renaissance Ranch, Renaissance something, but it was a 12 step program. That was about a mile down the road from where I was living. Okay. Yeah.
1: And that was earlier than the incident with the shooting.
0: Yeah, no, that was actually, that was afterwards. It was
1: after, okay.
0: Yeah, so that, the, the shooting part happened about beginning of 2018. Um, about around, I would say, February-ish. So, like, that happened. And then I'd say mid, mid-2018, mid about March, March-May-ish is when I started, uh, during kind of during when, when I got off. So about end of, I think it was about end of May when summer was happening. Uh, I got enrolled at a, my parents actually enrolled me at a 12-step program.
1: Okay. Sorry. The door was open. I'll have to take that part out. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what was going on. Um, so what happened after the 12-step program?
0: So uh, what they would do is, you know, I go sit in, I was in a, I believe it was an intensive outpatient program. So I would, for about seven hours a day, uh, I would be in kind of like these kind of like classes for like half the day, uh, interacting with one of the supervisors. And then for the other half, we'd be in group therapy. So, you know, we'd all sit in a circle, go through the 12 steps. And then about the last hour, we'd have AA meetings, and AA or NA meetings. Um, so I was there for about two weeks um, before I actually left. And the whole time I was there, I was actually using fake urine to to pass my drug tests because they would drug test us uh, once a week. So the whole time I was still using, taking Xanax and smoking weed, but uh, passing my drug test with fake urine.
1: Okay. So one of the things, and you're probably getting there, but one of the points that we always want to find out from the people that we interview who you know, have a history of addiction is what was your point of no return? What was your wake up call? When did you finally know that you had to change?
0: So the point of when I thought my point of no return was, is when I actually found out I had a son. Oh, so yeah. So when I, I was at work, um, this is now, this is fast forward into early 2019. Um, so, I was at work. I was already battling with uh this girl I had been with for a matter of months um, and before I left Utah and came back to San Diego to stay permanently uh, I had had relations with this woman for for some months, and the last week we were there, um, she didn't really want me to leave, and I was you know just we were just hanging out all the time smoking drinking alcohol and taking stuff and I had found out that something was up when I had found a pregnancy test in the trash can in my bathroom and it was positive but I didn't know how long it, it had been there because you know I didn't I didn't exactly keep my place very clean at the time so I thought someone might have left it in there but I didn't think anything of it so fast forward maybe about a, uh, a while um, in 2019 I got a call when I was at work Uh, saying that uh, she told me that I was actually, uh, she had a kid. And, you know, I thought, oh, you know, congratulations, all this stuff. Because I knew she was with another person after I left. So I just thought nothing of it. And then uh, I ended up getting it. She told me it was mine, uh, but she told me I wasn't allowed to see him or even speak with them because of my condition and what I had been doing over the past say some two years, but over the past like six months that I had known her, she had seen a lot of things that I didn't I didn't ex- exactly want her to see um, when it came to abusing myself and the people around me, um, along with things that I had told her that I had not told anyone else. Um, so she just kind of labeled me as this person that wasn't able to change this person that just wasn't fit to even raise a child at all. So she ended up moving to a different state, pretty much across country with this other person. And for like the next few months, I get calls from her, just her arguing about, you know, certain things just keep, just keep constantly reminding me that I can't see him and and why would
1: she do that? I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't understand her. She's not going to let you see the kid. Why call you up and tell you that you have a kid? I mean.
0: She, so when I was, uh, I actually had gone to, I was when I, uh, I'd say end of 2018, early 2019, I was actually in another program. Um, the same program with knocking on again. So, but at that time, it was an intervention. So I was mainly there just for my family. I wasn't there for myself. I see. And while during that process, she had uh, she had called me saying she was pregnant because I had cut her off. So I got in touch with her and she told me the whole story. But she told me she wanted to get an abortion with the kid. And, you know, I had mentioned she just because I had put her through a lot and it was kind of a whole thing with. I just don't want to see you again. And, you know, you look what you did to me. She was kind of blaming me for a lot of stuff. And so when I got the call, she reminded, she just kept reminding me that I wasn't allowed to see him because she kept thinking that I was this awful person. And I had tried to tell her that I was, I got through rehab. I graduated. Um, you know, look at, look at all the stuff I was doing, you know, I'm working finally, but I think kind of feel like she could kind of see past my BS only because like down, I knew I was still using, I never told her any of that. Like she just, she, she would, she would call me and argue with me about just the person she was with. Like, Oh, I had an argument with this person and blah, blah, blah. Or with my boyfriend. And I'm like, I don't know why you're still calling me. Like I was talking to my dad about this and I'm like, well, she, probably still has some interest in being with you only because like, he's like, I can predict maybe like six months to a year down the road, she'll come back and want money for all this stuff. And I'm like, uh, I mean, that makes a little bit of sense. I tried to keep the communication lines open a little bit. You know, she was calling me a lot, but it ended up getting to the point where every time I would talk to her, I would always just feel so terrible about myself.
1: Gee, I can't imagine why. Yeah, right. <laughs> I- I'm sorry. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast, or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo dot com, or go to our website theaddictionpodcast.com, dot com, or call us at seven two seven three one four. 7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narconon Ojai, visit their website at narcononojai.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N-O-J-A-I.org. Or call 1-866-231-5924 That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. Yeah,
0: I just, I feel so terrible that I would just go out and just Abuse my body and just put all this stuff in just because I never wanted to feel anything like I got to a point That was the point where every day was just numb. I I didn't feel I didn't have any emotions You know, I I, I was just living each day by what had happened in the past and And it it just I didn't want to feel anything. It's like Another part was like when I was using I never was communicating with my family at all and one of my sisters had expressed that she was going through depression and that she was having uh, like these suicidal thoughts. And I just, I can't even think about it now at the fact that I wasn't even, I wasn't even there for her when she was having these thoughts, you know, I'm like being, I should have been there talking her through anything. Like she's still alive today because, you know, luckily she had my other sister and my father, but I'm like, just, I kick myself every day at the fact that when she was talking like this, I was out and like I could have lost my sister to what I was doing. Like could it's I could I could <laughs> I could have handled it. So after all this stuff happened, I had um I had gotten in contact with uh Fabian, uh Padro at Narcanon, Ohio, and I told I had actually uh, let me oh my bad, let me let me come back to this. So I ended up having to actually go back to Utah for court to handle a, a, a drug charge and alcohol charge back in early um, or late 20 or early, early 2018. So I had gone back there uh, after work. I'd uh, shown up high at work. Uh, my boss knew it. He kind of the, kicked me out of the office and told me not to come back till I go to court. So I flew up to Utah, went to court. Um, The whole time I was there, I don't remember anything because I was just so, so out of it and didn't want to feel anything that I was just taking a bunch of stuff like Xanax and pain pills, along with smoking a lot of weed and drinking alcohol as well. And it, I I couldn't remember anything. I didn't even remember going to court, and then I ended up, like losing one of my best friends to just something that I had done while I was, while I was under the influence. And this was a person I talked to so many, like for, we were hung out almost every day. You know, she was, she was a person that I could trust with anything. And she's a person that made me happy when, when I was down. And I don't know, I can't even remember what I had done. Like, it was just, I blacked out so hard that I had lost all control of myself and, what I was saying, what I was doing, and ended up losing a person I cared about the most.
1: What happened to her, Norman?
0: Well, I, I I can't really recall exactly, but I had um I had taken a lot of Xanax and drank a lot of alcohol, and I was basically unconscious while conscious. So I was roaming around. We were hanging out, and I think I must have said something or did something that uh, really just made her not trust who I was anymore.
1: I got it. You didn't physically hurt her. You just
0: no, upset
1: I her to the point where she didn't want to be around you.
0: Yeah, like I think ahead. just, yeah. So so that was a whole, that was another thing. And then when I got back from Utah, I went straight to my father and I'm like, look, this is what's going on right now. I do not feel like I, I'd be able to last any longer if I continue with what I'm doing. I need to go back to rehab. I told him I would, when I wake up in the morning, I wouldn't be able to recognize who I was. I'm not not the person that I aspire to be. Every single day, I would wish that I would have, you know, reach my goals that I had set for myself. But each and every day, I'd wake up and do the same exact thing, expecting something different to change. But nothing, no change ever came. And so I told them I had to go back to rehab and I told them that I wanted to go back to knocking on, like, because the first time I was there, I didn't want this. I didn't want to be clean. I did not want to be sober. I just, the whole time I was there, I was talking about using when I got out and it didn't help at all. I maybe stayed sober for like two months, which was good for me. But as soon as I got that phone call about my, my child that I had, it went downhill, spiral very quick.
1: You know, you make a really good point, point, Norman. I mean, we've obviously talked about, you know, the Narconon program, and I want to go into the program with you and what, you know, what the steps are and, and you know, what you got from them. But there is a point that if someone does not want to be there for themselves to get better, they don't get better. You know, and the technology and the program is extremely good. It is. It has a higher success rate than any other program that I'm that I'm familiar with. But you have to have that want yourself to, you know, get clean and sober. And you didn't have it the first time.
0: Oh. No, it's it's definitely it, nothing's gonna work. Whether it's a a 12-step program or an AA meeting, NA meeting, anything that has to do with rehabilitation if the person that's going through it does not want it. That's right. That was the biggest thing with me was the fact that I was pressured by my, my loved ones, you know, my family and friends to go there. And I ended up just coming with this idea, you know what, I'm just gonna go there just to show them that I can get clean. like. And you know that didn't <laughs> that didn't work out too well.
1: <laughs> well, you got clean for a little bit anyway. So, yeah. when you started the program the second time, what when did you know that this was going to be different? This was gonna this was gonna be better. When did you know?
0: Honestly, within the, when I woke up the next day when I was there, um, going up there, I had done the whole let me use one last time and I woke up not knowing where I was I'm like oh I'm at (laughs) Narconon. I'm like at first it was like dang I'm at rehab again but then going through like just the things that they do which like these locationals and these objectives that kind of take your mind off of you know what you're thinking about which for me was things that had happened in my past and things that I had gone through was something that I would wake up every day and immediately think about, and that was what just going through the first stage of it, which is the withdrawal stage, which kind of helps you get off drugs. You know, they they put these vitamins and minerals that were that have been de- you taking drugs, you, your body's depleted of them. Right. So you're not really able to function very well, or you might be not in the right mindset, or your body's always hurting. And especially going through withdrawal, depending on what you're coming off of, you know, like you can go through some pretty, pretty drastic and terrible things that I honestly wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. <laughs> like it's yeah. so, like, just being able to have someone there with you go through it and that wants to see you do well and like just being able to have them take you out of your past and put you into present time and think about your own self. Like, you're there to get yourself better. Right. And that's one of the things that they constantly reassure you about, is that you're here for yourself, for no one else. This is about your life. This is about you achieving the things that you've always wanted to. Like, this is a stepping stone for you. And that's kind of what I realized just even within the first week of me being there. Wow. Because like, I knew I wanted to be different than what I was doing. And it definitely showed even to myself within the first week of going through withdrawal, getting off these, this, these things I was taking. Like I just, I wanted, (laughs) I wanted it so bad that even going through, even going through my, my withdrawals, like it was, I was smiling almost the whole time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So the new life sauna detox, how was that different?
0: So, you honestly for me and i can I can see this even with the people that I was going through the program with it's something that you can see changing almost every day you know every day as you what they do is is they kind of uh they put you know more minerals and and vitamins and these these good essential oils that you know and and uh, if you kind of put them into your body they'll kind of replace the old you know the old and the bad oils and the bad fats. And um, they also put this thing called this vitamin called niacin within your detox program, which kind of helps, you know, get the blood flowing to when you get into the sauna and it helps actually get rid of the drug toxins that are lodged in the fatty tissues along with like your body as well. So What they do is, is that you first start off with taking your niacin and then you hop on the treadmill or, you know, they have a a bike you can go on just to start to get the blood flowing, you know, and you'll instantly feel the effects. Like uh, for me, it was the redness and also with uh, the itchiness and like that's how, you know, the niacin is working. Right. So and then after that, I say about, you know, 30 minutes of either running or using the bike you'll go into the sauna program, which is, I can almost say like a blessing, because this thing, it works wonders. Like I can, I can see a different change in myself every single day with, so once you take the niacin, you you start sweating, and you're literally sweating out all of these toxins when it comes to either drugs or, or uh, say, you know, like the stuff that's in like foods
1: preservatives
0: preservatives yeah things like preservatives and you know oils and stuff that you put on your skin so like deodorant or cologne all these things that have been lodged in your body like are starting to come out with all these minerals and niacin that you're taking it's literally flushing these things out through your pores and you can feel just rejuvenated
1: and you can smell it and you can feel it, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. You, yeah. You, you know, just for the listeners, um, the this is based on research that um, L. Ron Hubbard did. And it's pretty well known that when you ingest something that your body can't use, it's not a protein, it's, you know, it's not a good fat, it's something that your body can't use, um, it gets dumped in the fat. That's what happens to it. And so... Um, that's what comes out when you do the sauna program, the New Life Sauna Detox, is anything that has been lodged in the fatty tissues. It breaks down, it comes out. Now, did you experience any of the drugs that you had taken uh,
0: Yeah. So, the sauna? Yeah. So, like, you know, throughout the my sauna program, I kind of, uh, I could feel some effects of, like, the, um, like, marijuana coming back. Along with uh, some like opiates that I had taken, uh, even even to like some of the uh, some like cocaine effects as well. So I have like a naturally low heartbeat or heart like pulse. So when I got there, my pulse was down in the low like mid forties. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so like going through that, just being able for me to adjust to it, I was having a lot of chest pains, and you know my mind was racing. You know I, I wanted to get up and do stuff and and it took me a while to get get used to that, but I also always, you know, I felt the effects of these things. You know, I'd start giggling randomly. You know, I'd get real tired, or you know, I'd just be staring blankly off into the into one corner of the sauna. But like, it, you know, they kept reassuring me because at first, first time I did this, I got really freaked out at the fact that I was like feeling this way again. You know, I'm like, isn't isn't this stuff supposed to get rid of it and you know, not, you know, come back at me and and you know, when I read this book they had called Clear Body, Clear Mind, they kind of showed me that this um that's how the sauna works is that while it's flushing out of your system, it can also cause kind of like these flashbacks or, you know, like uh they can kind of not re enter your body, but they'll uh kind of re trigger or re stimulate certain things from your past as well. And and it was, it's honest, it's, it was fascinating to me at the fact that I read this. And, you know, a lot of people are like, this doesn't seem true. Like, how can this re have something come up? And then you actually go in the sauna and you're like, oh, wow. Like, you're looking at your hands and like, this is weird. Like, <laughs>
1: <laughs> So what What comes next after the sauna? Because so, pretty, pretty much, I'm sorry, because pretty much after you've done the withdrawal and after you've done the sauna, now your physical being your body is free of the drugs so then you have to address the mental and spiritual aspects
0: yeah so once once you get out of the sauna you like you'll definitely feel a whole new sense of kind of like vitality like your physical wellness will be you'll just feel like you'll feel great you know like that's how i feel you know, my skin was clearing up and everything and I had so much energy. I started working out. But after that, you'll get into what they call like the course room, which is, you know, with objectives and like you said, kind of like mental and spiritual type, type of trials and like drills and stuff. Well, not really drills, but so these things kind of help you take your mind out of the past, you know, out of the things that you've done or things that you've had done. Uh, and puts you into a more stable and present time to the point where you can focus on you and the things around you. It helps you get more in touch with yourself, with the people that are trying to help you. and gives you kind of a more, a bigger appreciation for who you are as a person and what you have to do to be able to continue your life of sobriety. You know, being able to know that your body is like a temple and you always gotta keep it clean and you always gotta take care of it. And the biggest thing that I had realized when I was in the uh in the course room doing objectives was just how out of touch I was with listening to myself. I would always I would always listen to other people, you know, taking other people's advice before listening to myself. And, you know, when I when I when I finally realized that I had to get clean, I, that was a point in time where I'd actually listen to myself instead of the people around me telling me I needed to get clean. Right. And that was the biggest thing for me. It was just, just realizing that I have the power to do anything that I want. You know, I don't have to hold myself back. You know, I don't have to listen to, you know, these other people telling me that, Oh, you have to do it this way. You have to do it this way. And it's, it gave me the power to believe in myself, to realize that I can I can do pretty much anything I set my mind to, yeah. And and just if it's, I wanted, to it's clean,
1: true, and it's a huge realization. Sorry for cutting you off, but it's awesome. totally true.
0: It is like you know, if I wanted to stay clean, I can. Like, there's no, I I was tired of giving these drugs and you know these substances the power to control myself and i realized that i have i i can't let them do that anymore like i have to control my life not let these things control them for me and i just i realized that i wanted to to be able to feel again like going through most like since the age of 13 14 years old i had stopped having these certain emotions when it came to things you know when it came to say death or the sadness uh i ended up just not feeling anything you know, and I realized that going through this program, I want to feel feelings again, you know, <laughs>
1: like
0: I want to be happy. You know, I want to be sad. Just things that that make you who you are as a person. Right. You know, I thought that taking these things would uh, what do you call it? Um, hold back my emotions. Cause I, was a, yeah. I, was a, I didn't like to show my emotions because I thought it would make me kind of like a, a weak person. You know, like oh, he's crying over this. Oh, he's he's you know he's whatever. But <laughs> yeah, I just I wanted to just be who I wanted to be, and the course room and these objectives gave me that opportunity back.
1: That's awesome. And then what what about the um, is it life skills?
0: Yeah, yeah, okay. the life skills part of it. Yeah. So you start off kind of like with analyzing these certain people around in your life, you know, kind of looking at who they are as a person and what kind of things they would do to either help your survival or less like lower your survival in life. So you kind of take a look at what they have as these social and antisocial traits when it comes to the people that you associate with in life. You take a look at even your closest family members, to if you have kids, to cousins, to friends, even, even to your drug dealers, you know, and I, I I mean, I'm sure anyone can say the drug dealer's not a very, (laughs) not a very good person for your survival. So, except
1: except you um, might've had a different viewpoint when you arrived there.
0: Yeah. You know, I was like, oh, he's a good person. He always had my best interests.
1: (laughs) He always gave me the drugs I needed.
0: Yeah. Like he was always there for me, (laughs) Like it was, so you just take a look at these people and you analyze who is really there to help you kind of reach your goals in life. You know, it's not exactly a whole thing about you, you and you, you know, I'm not trying to be selfish or anything, but I always try to look at, you know, what type of people, you know, had my best interests in mind, you know, wanted to see me do good in life, you know, wanted to. You know slap me in the face if, if they saw me doing something that was going to hurt me or you know that that just that want to see me do better right and you know i always try to surround myself now with people that build each other up when it comes to even just small things you know like when it comes to pushing yourself on that last rep in the gym or you know like wanting to you know i do estates now at narconon so you know, weeds are the biggest problem. So I always try to have my friends like, "Oh man, you got to pull that weed." You know, just just being able to see the changes in you and the people around you, like just from being clean, was was a huge thing, and and getting rid of these people that I I deep down knew they weren't good for me, but I never wanted to realize it. Right. Once yeah, once I got out of communication with these people and just told them who I was now and who I'm going to be. And, you know, it, it, it just made me feel this, this sense of like weight off my shoulder that I don't have to deal with these people anymore. Right. Like, I'm, I'm, I know who I want to be. These are the things that I want to be and what I want to do in life. And these are the people that I want to be a part of that now.
1: Right, yeah. that's awesome. That's major. So when did you complete the program?
0: So, I completed the program, I want to say January 27th. Well done. Yeah.
1: Very well done. And you're going to stay there and work? You're doing this, what's it called, the student study? study?
0: Yeah, so I'm, I'm doing, um, currently I'm just doing um, estate work. So, I'm kind of working around the property, you know, just kind of help trying to give back to, you know, the community, like, just trying to give back pretty much, you know, just right. from the things that I've been doing and I'm working on the property, trying to make it look its its utmost best all the time.
1: That's awesome. Um,
0: and so I plan on doing that for about roughly the next few months. So until I can start work doing, doing staff training and start getting in you know, working with students and just being able to help them, like, just have these realizations that, you know, that want to help them change their lives and, and, it's, yeah, I, I, and I, think,
1: I think that's major because you've been through it and you've got, you know, you've got experience being an addict and how bad it can possibly get when you're in that world. And I think that, you know, a, a student coming to Narcanon, I think it's important when there's someone there that they can relate to because they know that you've been there, you've experienced it.
0: Yeah, and it's just, I just wanted to be able to give these other people a chance to change their lives for the better. And that's one of the things that I wanted to do when I left. Like, you know, I left, I got maybe like a week with my family and I came right back because I wanted to get to work, you know, being able to help around the property and just, just make the world around myself, around the world better in general. Like, if I can just help one person be able to realize and get off drugs, that was my main goal.
1: Well, let me just tell you that being willing to share your story and all of the nitty-gritty about your story is also going to help people. I know it's not a direct one-on-one, like what happens when you're there at Narconon. But, you know, we have a lot of people that listen to this podcast, and there are going to be people who are going to hear your story, and they're going to relate to it. And they're and they're probably going to think, "Wow, you know i haven't I haven't experienced that, but I have my own experiences, or something that happened to you, they'll go, "I can relate to that." So just telling your story, you're helping people.
0: Yeah, and it's just just being able like I, the biggest thing around me was just not being who I, I wanted to be like it was every single day I was using and it just made me take even more steps back to where I wanted to be in life. And I finally had gotten to a point where I had realized that everything that i wanted in life was no longer within arm's reach. I had to to finally do something about it because it wasn't only affecting me, it was affecting my friendships and my family. The people that I cared about the most didn't really want anything to do with me anymore. Right. Right. And you know, I, I just I couldn't take it anymore. I was just I was I was fucking up too much. I was just always sad. I was always looking at the worst part of every situation, and I was always finding excuses to get around certain things. And there was just a light, just like a light switch, a switch that happened in my head that just made me realize I I can't do this anymore.
1: Right.
0: Right. it. it, it it took everything in me because as soon as I made that call the same day, I went up to Narcanon. So I was like, you know, I still had the addict mentality of no, don't call them. Like give me a week to get my stuff in order. Let me go back home and do this real quick. And no, they, they got me as soon as I said it, like within the hour, two hours of making that call, I was up, you know, I was in the car, already going up there and, and, it honestly made a huge difference in just how I approach life and just how I approach certain things with confronting issues in my life. I no longer run away from responsibility and and hard work. And it's just, it feels so rewarding to be able to wake up every day knowing that it's going to be a better day, knowing that I made this switch in my life and knowing that the people around me are are just happy to be around me again. Wow.
1: That's awesome. Norman, thank you so much for sharing your story. Before I let you go, if you had one message to give to our listeners um, about getting into treatment or just one message that you'd want to leave them with, what would that be?
0: Okay. Um, It's... A lot of the times when you're going through tough times, you always think that there's no way out. Like you always, you you never want to look for that certain way out. You always think that your life is always gonna be like this. Well, like it's it's all up to you. You know, like when it comes to other people telling you, you need to get clean. I know from experience how angry that's gonna make you because I, when when I had my intervention, I wanted to start fight I almost got into a fight with the person that came and got me <laughs> so this choice this choice to get clean is something that you have to realize yourself it's not something that you can have other people tell you there's going to be a point in your life where you're not going to see any any insight of any type of Messed up. <laughs> you're gonna no, see like no light.
1: light at the end of the tunnel.
0: Exactly. You're not gonna see anything coming out of what you're doing and just being able to stay like focused on what you need for yourself and just being able to realize that there's always gonna be, like you said, a light at the end of the tunnel, but you just have to be the person to go get it. You have to be the person that wants things in life. And actually puts in the work to go get it and that's that 's one thing I realized was if I needed if I wanted something in life i couldn't rely on other people i couldn't rely on these drugs and all this stuff to help me get to it. I had to get to it myself, that's and awesome. I can say that this is the biggest thing that will ever that will that change my life, and I hope that the people out there if you 're listening to it, have anyone going through it or going through it yourself. Like you always got to be there for them and be there for yourself, whether they want to get clean or not. This is, this is one of the hardest things to deal with. And if you make this choice to get clean, I can promise you that you will never, ever regret it.
1: Awesome. Great message. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I, I just, I really, really appreciate it.
0: I appreciate you having me on here
1: well that was quite the story we haven't had um, a graduate from Narcanon for a while and um, norman's story i thought was quite riveting uh everything that he went through while he was addicted and he's turned his life around and now he wants to help other people and it's a great purpose you got to give it to him Just a reminder to subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and also to check us out on YouTube. But the most important reminder that I do a lot at the end of the podcast is to remind you that there is help available and there is hope. And I know that when you or someone that you know is in the depths of addiction, it can seem hopeless, and you can feel helpless, but there is always help available. I'm gonna give you the number for Narcanon, Ohio. It's 866-231-5924, and it's an anonymous call. You can get your questions answered. You can find out anything you need to find out, but reach out. Sometimes that's the hardest thing, is to reach out for help, and that's what you have to do. And don't wait, do it now. We'll talk again next week.
0: You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ohio. For more information on Narconon Ohio, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcononohai.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.